you're not already there, please, if you have your Bible, turn with me now to Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 6. If you are visiting with us this morning, this is the series that we've been doing for a few months now, going through Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now we're in chapter 6, and counting this sermon, we have two left. So we have this week and then next week, we will be closing out the letter. And then who knows where we go from there. No, I'm just speaking. Look with me at verse 25 of chapter 5. That's where I'm going to begin reading. Verse 25 of chapter 5, and I'm going to read down to verse 10 of chapter 6. Paul writes, beginning in verse 25 in this letter, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted." Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I meant to mention this before I began reading. If you're visiting with us this morning and you would like to follow along in the translation that I'm reading from, which is the ESV, please just take the Pew Bible, which is located in front of you, and you can follow along with that. Now, if you would, pray with me as we seek the Lord's help. Father, we come before you once again in our time together asking that you would be with us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, quieting our minds, quieting our hearts as we we come before your word now, O Lord. These are your words. They're not mine. They're yours. And I pray that this people sitting before me, your people, would hear them just like that, that you are speaking to them through your word and through the things that I'm saying this morning. Father, may you use your word for the upbuilding of your church. May it humble the proud. May it strengthen the weak. May it bring back the one who may be wandering. May it save the lost. Father, your word is powerful. It is glorious. Help us to receive it 
in that way as well and with glad hearts, with joy that wells up within us. And may everything that I say be to the glory of the Lord Jesus. May it make much of Him. For that is why we are gathered together this morning. That's why we exist. May it happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week in our time together, as we were going through this letter, we were in verses 25 down to of chapter 5, verse 25 of chapter 5, and we went down to, to verse 5 of, of chapter 6. That's the section of Scripture that we were looking at together last week. And in that, that section that we were looking at, in those verses, Paul was calling to the Galatians, and in our day, in the 21st century, he's calling to Alt's Chapel, he's calling to you, Christian, to be keeping in step with the Spirit. That's what he says there in verse 25. That's his command there. He says, if we live by the Spirit, referring to everything that we have seen in verses 16 to 24, walking by the Spirit, bearing the fruits of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then in verses 1 to 6, Paul began to show us what this looks like, what it looks like to be keeping in step with the Spirit. And you remember I said that it was kind of like, uh, in military terms anyways, you picture a, a platoon that's marching, and then to the side of the platoon you have the platoon sergeant. And he's the one who's calling the cadence. He's the one who's having everybody else keep in step. So you can think of the Spirit of God as that person. He's the one who's calling the cadence. And we as the children of God are called to be keeping in step with that cadence that He is calling. And He gave us some examples of what that looked like. In verse 1, He said that we are to be restoring one another with a spirit of gentleness. That was one example or exhortation that He gave to us. In verses 2 and 3, we saw that we are called to be bearing one another's burdens, which refers to spiritual burdens and physical burdens, whatever they may look like. And then the, the third example that we saw, which was in verses 4 and 5, Paul called us, he exhorted us, he gave us the example that we are to be a people who are to be testing our own work so that we do not boast in others but boast in ourselves. Boasting meaning that we rejoice in, that we glory in, or that we have confidence in what Christ and the Holy Spirit is doing within us. We don't go around saying, oh, look at me, look how awesome I am, look how good I am. Not that type of boasting. No, you see what Christ is doing in you. You know that your works are genuine because it's Him, the Spirit of God working in you, causing these things. That type of boasting. You don't have to look around at everybody else, see what they're doing, worry about what they, uh, the, the works that God is working in them or the fruit that they're bearing. Is it more than yours? You don't have to worry about that. You look at yourself and what Christ is doing in you. And I want you to remember 
that verse 26, remember that warning that we saw in verse 26, flowed through all of these verses. And it's going to continue to flow in verses 6 to 10, where Paul said, let us not become conceited or empty of praise. Meaning, let us not be those who are empty of approval, empty of affirmation, empty of acceptance. Because if we are empty, then we will provoke one another, challenge one another, try to have the superiority complex. Or you will envy one another, having the inferiority complex, wishing that you had what others had, and then you would have your acceptance and approval and so on and so forth. So we're not to be like that. And that flowed through all of those verses because if you are empty, you will not truly keep in step with the Spirit. You will not bear one another's burdens. You will not restore each other with gentleness and you will not test your own works because it it will be all about you making much of yourself, self-gain, So Paul gives us that warning and it's going to continue to flow within these verses of verses 6 to 10. That you have been filled in Christ, have all the acceptance, all the approval that you need in Him, and that's what causes you to work. And one last reminder before I lay out this passage. Have you continued to see, especially in chapters 5 and 6, how the knowledge of the gospel and the works of the gospel, what you do, come together. Have you continued to see that in this section? The knowledge of who you are in Christ, what He's done for you through the gospel, how that paves the way or is the fuel source of your working. If you don't have the fuel source, you will be empty. And you may work, but it's phony and it won't last. Now verses 6 to 10. Paul's going to give us two more exhortations or two more examples. One of them is going to be in verse 6. And then the, the, the last exhortation or example that we're going to see is verses 9 and 10. And then smack dab in the middle of those is another warning that we're going to see Paul give to us. So first, the the exhortation that he gives us, the example. It continues straight through. He says in verse 6, Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. And in this verse... Paul is talking about the the church. He's talking about people within the church, Christians, and how they are called to be providing for those who have devoted themselves to teaching and preaching God's Word. And I say that because the emphasis is put on the one who is taught. You see that there. Let the one who is taught the Word. So the one who is being taught by the teacher... Let them share all good things with the one who teaches. In our context today, when we hear that or when we read verses like this, we think mainly of paying pastors, paying other teachers. 
whether that be a, a lead pastor, a youth pastor, or some other form of, of pastor within maybe larger churches that have you know, multiple pastors that are up there teaching and preaching. We think about them and think about missionaries, supporting the missionaries that we send out. And all that's good. That's all good to think about. Paul is definitely talking about that here in this verse. But within his context, him, when he wrote this, it would have meant so much more than just paying them. So you think about their day. How their lifestyle was. The, the circumstances that they were in. You know, most of the time when they were meeting together, they, they were meeting together in homes. You know, they actually have, some of them had church buildings. I mean, we see some proof of that in the New Testament. But most of it was in homes. And the pastor, the teacher, because the gospel was so fought against or hostile toward. I mean, these guys... I mean, yes, we're called to give everything for the sake of the gospel, but you saw it a lot more clearly in their context. And so when he says all good things, the church was most likely not only supporting them with money somehow, but they were probably providing them with a home. Theirs would have most likely been burned or raided. I mean, true for Christians as well, but... You know, as the uh, strategy goes, you cut off the, the head or the leader and then the disciples will flee. So you can imagine that pastors were the ones that they went after first. So these Christians probably provided not only with money, but with food, with hospitality and other material things. And so Paul says, share all good things. Don't just pay the guy. <laughs> share all good things with the one who teaches. And this practice, it didn't originate with Paul. This isn't Paul's idea. He didn't come up with it. It's like, oh, you know what? These guys really need to be supported somehow, so let me add this to the letters that I write. No. This, this actually goes back all the way to the Old Testament priesthood, if you remember. If you have any uh, knowledge of the Old Testament, you remember that God whenever he called his people Israel out of Egypt, made them a nation, gave them his law, he set up the Levitical priesthood. And he set up sacrifices. And the tithe, that's where the tithe came up. The pastor didn't create that. He created the tithe. And not only were these priests to be supported by the money that was given to the temple uh, to support the temple furnishings and their lifestyle, things like that, but they were also supported by the sacrifices that were given. You know, some of the meat that was offered, the priest would take of that, and that, that would be their portion to eat from. The Lord ultimately was providing for His servants in that way. His people, out of love, should have been love anyways, from their hearts, contributing to the things of God and providing for His servants in that way. So that's where all of that began. And then Jesus, in the New Testament, He picks up on this and He teaches it. Not in the exact same way, but in a similar way. And we see some of this, or we see an example of this in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Uh, Jesus sends out his, uh, his apostles to, to teach and to preach. And you remember he tells them to what? Don't take anything with you. Don't take anything with you. Because the town that you go to and the house that you stay in, 
they are to provide for you and you are to receive what they provide for you. He says in verse 7, and remain in the same house, referring to those who receive them, eating and drinking what they provide, all good things, for the laborer deserves his wages. That was a part of their wages. These people providing for them in this way. And then Paul, he, he picks up on this in his writings. That's where he gets it from. He gets it from, from the teaching of Christ, the Lord Jesus, when he, he came on the scene, started the new covenant, began to establish um, new things. And we, so Paul's bringing that up here in Galatians for that reason. And he also brings it up in other passages, passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. Paul talks about writing to the Corinthians, and he says, if I remember correctly, I didn't write the verse down, but he, he's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, should we not reap material things from you? Speaking of these wages here. And then also he brings it up in Romans chapter 15, verse 27. So if you'd like, you can at some time later on, you could go to those passages and look at them. But Paul brings this, this up in those passages as well. This is a, a theme throughout the New Testament. A theme that the church is the one who is given the responsibility to support and provide for its teachers. And this is, this is one of the ways, as we've been looking at in chapter 6 especially, that we are called to be loving each other, and as Paul's about to say in a moment, do good to the household of faith. And I just want to say, as we're talking about this, you know, paying and supporting pastors with material things, I think that this church does a very good job of that, especially for our size. One of the things that I hear most often when people ask me, you know, what do I do for a living? Okay, you're a pastor. You know, they start asking about the church, some details about the church, and I say, well, you know, we're we're a smaller church, which doesn't matter. But they're surprised that I'm full time. They're surprised that you guys pay me and that I'm able to to do this full time because there are a lot of churches our size that just they can't do that. They can't support a pastor full time, and so I'm very thankful for your generous giving, not only to me but to our missionaries as well. Last winter, for Christmas, we sent out a, a gift to all our missionaries at Christmas. We gave our biggest gift, of my knowledge anyways, ever, last Christmas to those missionaries. One of them wrote us a card. You can look at it back there, the Looper family. Wrote us a card thanking us for that gift, and not only for that gift, but the generous gift that you gave them a few weeks ago, or last month sometime when they were here. I mean, we gave them a love offering. So I think that you do a very good job at this Alts Chapel. And that's to the glory of Christ, not the big head of Alts Chapel. However, although I think we, we do a good job at this, that we are generous, this is something that we need to continually remind ourselves of because it is so easy to become lax in, right? So easy to become laxed in the area of, of supporting our church, giving, giving our time, 
not just money, our time and our money to it, serving it. And then also, we need to be sure that we are teaching future generations this truth as well. I've talked to a few pastors since I've been a pastor who lead churches that are their majority, the majority of the church is their younger, younger generation, maybe like my generation or, or maybe a little bit younger than that. They struggle to be supported by their churches. And one of the main reasons is because, you know, the younger generation, they just don't, I don't know if they just don't understand that, hey, you're called to serve your church, to love your church in this way, to support them in this way. I'm not real sure. I know the older generation is, they do a better job of this. Maybe it was how you're raised. I'm not sure. But we need to make sure that we are teaching the coming generations that this is one of the ways that you love your church family or you love your pastor, your leaders, your teachers. Because if you don't support them, who's going to teach the Word? If there's no teaching the Word, why don't we gather together? This is important. This is critical. Not just because the pastor needs to be paid, but because ultimately it's about him having time to devote himself so that he can feed you all. Right? So let us be diligent in those things. And let us remember that it is us, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are given this, this command, this call. Now the warning that Paul gives in verses 7 to 8. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. These two verses are difficult, mainly because it's hard to know exactly what Paul has in mind as he writes them. For example, as he writes these verses, he gives this warning. Does Paul have primarily in his mind, verse 6, what he just wrote, talking about providing for, supporting our pastors, our leaders, our teachers. Does he have that primarily in his mind? Or does he primarily have everything that he's just said in verses 1 to 7 up until this point and what he's about to say in the following verses? Pastors, theologians stand on both sides of the line. Some say that it's verse 6. Some say otherwise. My stance is that I think it refers to everything that he's just said in verses 1 to 7. And the reason why I say that is it goes back to the warning of verse 26 that I've been telling you flows through the whole section. You remember in verse 26, Paul said, Let us not become conceited or empty of praise. Let us not be like that. Let us keep in this, let's, let us keep step, keep let us be keeping in step with the Spirit, not being like this. But Paul knows that there will be people who come, who rise up, who call themselves Christians, who say that they love God, who live for Him and love others, but they only do it for self-gain because they are empty. He knows that. 
He knows that there's going to be people like that. And so He gives this warning so that we will not be deceived, so that they will not be deceived. Somebody who serves out of emptiness or self-gain, He says to them, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Okay, Paul, God will not be mocked. He's mocked every day. People within the church and people without the church. Because people who serve with empty hearts for self-gain, you mock God. He's not pleased with service like that. It mocks Him. So Paul's not saying that you know, God's not going to be mocked in, in that way like every day. Ultimately, He's not going to be mocked. Ultimately, God will not be mocked. Because, continuing in the verse, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You serve in that way. You serve with emptiness. You serve for self-gain. You provoke one another. You envy one another. You make it all about yourself. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. For the one who sows to his own flesh, flesh referring to those things, service in that way, self-gain, trying to make much of ourselves, trying to find acceptance, approval from other people in that way, that's referred to as fleshly desires or fleshly works. If you sow to the flesh, you will from the flesh reap corruption. That's the end of those things. It refers to death, ultimately. Decay, destruction, death. The person who serves in this way, God's not going to be mocked because that's their end. They will stand before God. He will see through them. There will be nowhere to hide. He will know how they served, if it was genuinely or if it was with emptiness. He will know. And they will reap what they have sowed all their lives. But for the one who sows to the Spirit, that is, who serves genuinely, who is filled with Christ, and out of that fullness overflow to others with love and compassion, seeking the glory of God and not their own, and you serve that way, you sow to the Spirit, and you will reap eternal life. You will reap eternal life. So that's, what I, that's what I think Paul is primarily talking about as he writes this verse. But this is also true of life in general. You sow to the flesh, corruption is its end. You sow to the Spirit, eternal life. So if you live your life sowing to worldly gain or investing yourself in worldly gain, worldly pleasure, making much of yourself now, not denying yourself and following after Christ, this is what you get. If you sow to the Spirit, if you invest in the things of God, in the things of Christ, who He is, what He makes you, by His precious blood and sacrifice, you gain eternal life. So at this point, we can't, just, we can't help but ask ourselves the question in self-examination, 
What field am I sowing in? You know, where is my life invested? Is it in the field of the flesh or is it in the field of the, the Spirit? Where do I invest myself at? Where, where do I invest myself in? And then we come to the, the final exhortation, the final example of keeping in step with the Spirit. And these verses are stacked right on top of each other. Or excuse me, they're, they're, they're stacked right on top of verses 7 and 8. So you have verses 7 and 8, what Paul says there. And then you have verse 9 on top of that. And then you have verse 10 on top of that. They just flow right after each other. So in verse 9 he says, And let us not, or because of this, because of that what he just said, if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Because of that, let us not grow weary of doing good. Because of that, because you will reap eternal life, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And then stacked on top of that, verse 10, So then... Because of that, because of verses 7 and 8, because of verse 9, as we have opportunity, and when he says as we have opportunity, it's not a... Laziness is not implied here. You know, we think about opportunity, okay, let me sit on the couch and wait for it to come. That's not what Paul means. This is active opportunity. You are looking for opportunity to do good. Let us... Do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You are called Christian to do good to everyone. Do good to everyone. This was referring to people who are not Christians. Good to everyone. But notice that the emphasis is on those who are of the household of faith, which means who? Christians, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, why, why does Paul say that? Why is the emphasis on the household of faith? Why does he say, do good to everybody, but especially to those who are of the household of faith? He doesn't mean that you exclude everybody else to do good to the household of faith, because he includes them, right? That's why he puts them there. You don't, you don't exclude non-Christians. We don't think of them as lesser people. We serve them with genuineness and love and care and the fruits of the Spirit that we've been looking at. But he says especially because the relationships that are present here in Christ are eternal. They do not end. Your relationship with your brother and sister in Christ that you're sitting beside right now will go on forever. You will spend eternity with them. That's why the emphasis is put on the household of faith. This is the house that's currently being built that will never be torn down, will never be broken. So he says, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. So the promise is we will reap eternal life. So let us be a people who do good. 
the kind of good that Paul describes in, in chapters 5 and 6. You know, that type of good. Let us do that good. Not just say good things about each other or scratch each other's back, but let us do biblical good, you could say. What Paul has been saying in, those two, in these two chapters. But before I, before I close, I must draw our attention to those important words at the end of verse 9. where he says, in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So the promise is you will reap eternal life. Eternal life is yours. Then there's a condition. If you do not give up. If you persevere in good works. If you do not grow weary, if you continue to run the race, if you continue to fight the good fight, eternal life is yours. That's what this promise, or that's who this promise is for. And so the immediate question that comes into our minds is, okay, so how can I know that I will not give up? Where do I find my assurance that I'm not going to, to fail? That I'm not going to grow weary. And I think we find the most plain answer in Hebrews chapter chapters 11 and chapter 12. So if you would turn there with me. Hebrews 11 and 12. I love, the, I love this section of Hebrews. I know I've brought this up to you guys multiple times as we've gone through this letter. I'm going to bring it up again. And it's also going to be the message that I preach in homecoming. So in chapter 11, the reason why I take us here as we think about, you know, how, how do I know that I'm going to continue? You know, how do I know that I'm not going to give up? Well, look at what the author of Hebrews says in verse 36 of chapter 10, right before chapter 11. He says to the Hebrews, For you have need of endurance. They need endurance. They need to know that they're not going to give up. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And then if you just glance down at chapter 11, he defines faith. He shows what faith looks like. And then he gives numerous examples of what it looks like in action. The hall of faith, as it's called in chapter 11. So he gives, he defines faith. He shows what faith is. It's not just some magical leap in the dark. It's a firm foundation that you could stand on, which is God's promises. He gives these examples of people throughout history who have seen that, grabbed hold of it, stood on it. And then in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with, what does he say? 
endurance. There's that word again. Let us run with endurance that the, ra- the race that is set before us. And in verse 2, there's the key. The key to all of it. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to persevere, Christian? You want to not grow weary in doing good? Christian, you want to know that you will continue to run, you want to know that you will continue to fight, don't look at yourself. Because <laughs> if you do, you will fail. Because there's nothing impressive there to look at. I can go ahead and tell you. It's true for me too. You're not called to look at yourself. What does the author of Hebrews say? He says, think of your faith. Think about what faith is. Think about the examples of faith and where it all points to. Looking to Jesus who founded your faith. That's why you have faith this morning. He gave it to you. And He will He will perfect it if you continue to put your trust in Him and in Him alone. That should be so reassuring. It's not about you, it's not about your work, it's not about what I can do. It's about Christ. And all I'd have to do is just put my eyes on Him. Like in the Old Testament when the, the Israelites were suffering, you know, they had done something dumb. And God commands Moses to construct the, the, bra, or the bronze serpent. And He says, look to the serpent and be saved. You look to Christ and be saved. I want to close by reading a quote from Theodore Monod. These little books, it's called Looking Unto Jesus. They're little meditations on this verse, verse 2 of chapter 12. If I'm not mistaken, I think there's still some of these these little booklets in the back if you wanted to pick one up. But it's just little meditations on this verse. And at one point... This is what Manad says. I think it fits very well in what we're talking about. He says, Looking unto Jesus and not at what we are doing for Him. Too much occupied with our work, we can forget our Master. It is possible to have the hands full and the heart empty. When occupied with our Master, though, we cannot forget our work. If the heart is filled with His love, how can the hands fail to be active in His service? That's exactly what we're talking about here in Galatians 6. You have been filled in Christ, therefore you work. You put your eyes on Him, therefore you work. So Christian... As a closing exhortation to you, put your eyes on Christ and you will endure. If you don't know Christ, then I bid you to go to Him because you don't have endurance. You may work, but as we just looked at, it's it's hollow and ultimately God's not pleased with it. 
and one day it'll all just kind of blow away like the dust. But with Christ, these things will last. And as Paul's promise holds true and those verses that we just looked at, eternal life is yours. But it's only found in Him. Only found when your works are hidden within Christ and what He's done first and foremost. Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank You for the great promises of Your Word. Oh, the encouragement that we have as Your people. It's not about us. It's not about our accomplishments. It's not about what we are doing for You, but it's about You. And we're called to put our eyes on You, O Lord. That's where strength is found. That's where endurance is found. That's where hope Comfort, peace, joy, all of those things are found. Oh, may your people continually set their eyes on you. And if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, that doesn't know you, oh Lord Jesus, may you draw them to yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.